1: Welcome to the Craft and Character podcast. Steve Carter here and in association with my good friends at CDF Capital and Food for the Hungry. Uh, today, I'm excited because you know why this, this whole podcast exists. It's it's to talk about the art of and craft of communication. But as pastors and leaders and shepherds, we always want to be the kind of people where our character is leading the way. And every once in a while, I come across a book that I will read, I will devour, and I just um, I just know right from the jump that this is a book that um, the Crafting Character audience needs to be aware of, needs to go and get, needs to read. And today we are going to be talking with Wynn Collier, and he was a pastor for 25 plus years out in Charlottesville, Virginia at All Souls, most recently is at Western Seminary, um but he is the author of a burning in my bones which is this amazing biography on the life of America's pastor Eugene Peterson so when thank you thank you thank you for joining us on the crafting character podcast
0: i'm really glad to be here thank you for inviting me
1: yeah well let's let's just start um because what's awesome is y- you you're an, uh, an amazing and accomplished writer um, but you, you've been a pastor. Talk about your time at All Souls. You were the founding pastor, but give us a little bit about that and then your current move to Holland, Michigan, um, and what you're doing there.
0: Well, we um, I've been a pastor for 25 years, as you mentioned, and we moved in 2008 from South Carolina to Charlottesville, Virginia to um, help found All Souls, which is a beautiful little band of um, Christians and centers and pilgrims and had every intention really of retiring from there. But in a, a strange, um, strange, unexpected move, we were asked to come to Western seminary in, um, in Michigan, Holland, Michigan, and to help found the Eugene Peterson center for Christian imagination. So, you know, for decades I've had, um, I guess what I would consider a dual vocation of writer and pastor and, and Eugene and I had some like points of connection there because um, he, he named those two uh, vocations as, as sort of uh, pillars of his life. And, and um, so uh, one informed the other. And so in this work at the seminary, it's a chance to encourage and blow some, Wind on the embers of the, the flame of pastoral integrity, which is, which is Eugene's heart and mission and at the same time uh, work with writers and artists and creatives and, and curious Christians and having the same kind of conversations that Eugene had and seeing how we can be a, a witness to this grand and beautiful story that God is writing and, and, and follow in, in the way that Eugene did.
1: That's amazing. You know, how did you first get introduced? to Eugene's work and, and where were you in the life of your like pastorate ministry?
0: Well, I was, it was, um, very early on. We, I had finished seminary and we were in Denver, Colorado where I was a bivocational pastor. I was at a very small church that had had like three splits. and was really struggling. I was really young, newly married way in over my head, had just come out of a very difficult church situation uh, where i had been at a church for two years as an associate pastor and um it had just been a really brutal experience with a um, brutal environment frankly and i was reeling from that and i came to this church that was struggling and i was filled with all these ideas now i was going to finally have my chance to put my mark on a church, um, in some ways I was reacting to the previous bad experience, but also was filled with youthful zeal. And this church had really struggled. And I thought, boy, if we could just, and I think I even had a a meeting with some of the leaders where I used the word, um, visionary, you know, if we could just visioneer um, our future. And, and I think there were some good intentions there, but there was also a lot of ignorance and, Uh, one day on a Sunday after church, one of the elders came up to me and handed me a copy of Eugene's working the angles and said, I I think you might enjoy this. And later in retrospect, I understand he means, he meant, uh, I think you need this. (laughs) And I, I went home and I was a couple, probably just paragraphs in, and my heart was pierced. I, I. I was prepared for something I didn't know that I was prepared for. I was prepared to have my world undone by a beautiful wide vision of what it meant to be a pastor. And um, I just began to gobble him up. And, and then a couple of years later, um, my first book was being published by a publisher of Eugene's and I got them to give me his address. And so I started writing him letters and I, the relationship just kind of took off from there.
1: That's amazing. I love that, you know, uh, we, we, every one of us in, in pastoral work has had one of those moments where someone gave us a book that we, at the beginning of it, as we started to read, didn't know how much our soul and our heart and our spirit needed it. And um, what a great, great elder to give you that book. Working the Angles is fantastic. Um, you know, it, it, it's amazing to think that, you know, and you kind of describe this right from the beginning of the book, but how this biography came to be. And I, I'd love just to hear. You know, you start writing these letters. Uh, he, you know, he 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 endorses a book, but a friendship begins to the point where you, um, towards the end of his life, have this have this moment that almost that you feel like you you want to write this, but not sure how to start this conversation. Lead us from that point of him kind of reading your first book up to how. Um, the world was gifted with you getting the permission to write a burning in my bones.
0: Yeah. You know, I do think it's important to back up and say there was real disappointment along the way. Um, like many of us, I mean, Eugene became, a, um, a deep source of hope for me. Um, not because of him necessarily, it certainly was, was his way, but it was, He was a voice for something that i i ached for and and so began writing letters i probably thought it was something unique to me but he was writing letters with all kinds of people i would i would learn later as i literally was piling through a thousand you know thousands and thousands of letters so we um wrote letters i did ask him to uh endorse one of my earlier books and and he said no and um he didn't, you know, he was kind and generous, but I mean, he, I, again, I learned this. I mean, he was asked to endorse hundreds of books. He couldn't possibly, you know, and that was disappointing to, to an extent. But then another time I wrote him a letter and, and asked if, uh, if I did a pastoral retreat in Montana, could I spend an afternoon with him? And he wrote me back a kind letter, but just said, you know, no, I just, I don't have space for that right now in my life. And I knew lots of other people that had, that had been able to go and meet with him. And, um, and, and I remember just feeling really sad, not because he said no, but just because I thought, you know, I don't think I'm going to have that chance for that slow lingering conversation. I remember when the documentary came out yep. of uh, Nav Press put out about Eugene's life, and I—I had had some conversations with Eugene before that. I'd met him in Juneau, Alaska, when um, he was there with his oldest son, teaching at a really small Presbyterian church. It was a beautiful little weekend. I went there to just to to be there for that little spiritual life conference, and and I had breakfast with him in his hotel, and and we'd connected a few times, but um, I remember when this documentary came out and I was watching it one evening and it ended and I thought, I just felt sad. I thought, I don't think I'm ever going to see him again. Um, But then a year or two later, I went to Montana for a pastoral retreat and I did get together with Eugene while I was there. So um, the earlier sadness was assuaged. And um, as I was leaving, I just began to think about someone was going to write his story. And I started thinking about what I hoped that story would do, what it would be like, and what I hoped it wouldn't do. Um, you know, biographies have a way of uh, making it a person in their own image, pulling, pulling someone into fights and conversations they weren't really having on their own, right? And so I wrote him a letter, fully aware that Eugene, the last thing he was interested in was having a biography written about him. Right. And he calls me back a couple of weeks later. We talk about it. And I asked him the question, I said, Eugene, when you think about this, does it, does it give you energy or does it tire you out? And he said, oh, when it just tires me out. And I was like, well, that's what I thought. And so I thought that'd be the end of the conversation. But for some reason we kept talking And about 10 minutes later, he said, when I think I have energy now, I think you're supposed to do this. And so off we went on this four year journey of writing the story and, and it was, Humbling, beautiful, terrifying, um, fulfilling—all of those things.
1: Well, you know, in one and a half settings, sittings, I—I and I, uh, half of it just because my flight ended and I had to get to the next flight. Um, I—I just—I was transfixed by this book. The writing—you are so gifted. Um, you could—we'd uh, never met before, but you—you—you could tell just the—the the pastoral heart you have. Um, but the, the ways that you were letting, um, Eugene's life, um, but there were so many pieces that I didn't know. I'm a sports guy. So I'm like, you know, the first quarter of the book and I find out, you know, he he called Phil Jackson, the former coach of the bulls and Lakers and Knicks, like, uh, his parents for his first church plant, you know, and just all of this, these like random small worlds, even I didn't know about Pat Robertson. I'm um, going, and so there's all these weird pieces that you just put together in this book that really, really details. But I want to read one, one piece because I, I found myself um, in the early parts. I didn't know that as, um the degree of his father as a butcher, and you wrote something early on that I just thought, man, this was something that it seemed. To be so definitive of how Eugene lived and wrote uh, from a from probably his experience at a butcher shop, but but you say um, Eugene remembered uh, when when talking about carving, he said Eddie insisted was an art requiring patience. This is re- re- referring to butchering, attention, and years of practice. Carving a quarter of beef into roasts and steaks was not a matter of imposing my knife fortified will on dumb matter, Eugene remembered, but respectfully and reverently entering into the reality of the material. And I, I was like, oh my goodness, this guy was like, not just great at exegeting culture or exegeting scripture. He, he, he was doing this from a butcher shop. Um, I just I found myself just moment after moment, there were all of these surprises in the book. I imagine as you were diving into thousands of letters, as you were getting to see the backstory of how Eugene became um the pastor, the father, the husband that he was, the friend. Um what what were some other surprises from the book that you were like, I I didn't I didn't know this story or I didn't experience I I didn't know this to be so essential in his life um or so I don't know transformational in his story but really really when you now look back oh, I can see it I can see how that experience was so pivotal for him
0: Yeah um <clears throat> in some ways it it's, it wasn't single singular experiences it was um Depth of texture, so you know for those of us who met Eugene either through his books or in person you know well into his ministry after he had uh, grace had been so deepened in his heart it's it's in some ways interesting to encounter him, for instance as a as a student writing letters back home and and uh, talking about his experience as you know student body president and his, his, the way he would talk about leadership and, and it, and it sounded like what you would expect from a, a young, um, idealistic, zealous college student who's trying to make his mark. And so I think one of the things that, 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 that I, I, th- I think a perception I had, probably without really recognizing it, was thinking in some ways that this was just this contemplative way, this God-aware way, this slow and deeply human way, that that's just who Eugene was. And I needed to sort of learn that. But realizing that some of that was who he was, but some of it was also um, a grace that had to be um, fostered in his life and that he was ambitious and he was zealous, and you know he would talk a lot in his later books about the, the evils of as pastors having these idealistic visions of the church. And I think it's because when he was an early pastor, he had an idealistic vision of the church, yeah. and it crushed him, and he saw how it crushed other people. And so in, in many ways for me it was recognizing, man, he was just a normal teenager. He was a normal college student. He, he, he was gifted in so many ways, yes, but he, he also um, – And in some ways, the parallel with Pat Robertson was, you know, what an interesting story it would have been if he had followed Pat's invitation to join him in building this uh, TV network, right? And just recognizing, you know, Eugene believed that so much of our life is out of our control. We think we control it, but we really don't. Um, That God, it's grace. And and recognizing how God's grace and then his response to it, for sure, um, led him on a path that made him the Eugene that he was
1: what do you what do you think tamed that youthful idealism uh, that he had for what the church could be or needed to be or what he thought it should be what, what what were those experiences and those challenges that he had in ministry that that maybe helped move him because i think i i, I was so similar to you when like with the the times that if Eugene came up i'm like and this guy's probably been a five on the Enneagram his whole life. Like he's just someone who loved to research or someone who loved maybe a four wing with just quiet. He could just feel content, I, you know, but then, then all of a sudden you see who he was at and like at Seattle Pacific and just running for student body president, you know, running track, like almost becoming this, this personality, this leader, but also still at some points feeling like an outsider as you write about. Um, but I feel like there was some moments in his life. And like you said, not singular, but there were probably a few moments in his life where something happened that tamed that, that pursuit of it's gotta be bigger, bigger, more, more to be healthy and grace and more integrous to who God was really wanting him to be as a, a shepherd and pastor. Well, I think he
0: just, he just had a, a real tenderness toward people. Um, he loved being the protector for his younger sister. Um, I don't actually remember if this if this story wasn't in, was in the book or not. Right at this moment, we we cut one hundred and thirty thousand words, so there was a lot that got cut. But um, there was the story where his where his sister had a really bad bike wreck, and and he um, carried her home blocks away. And yeah. in talking to Karen you know, even now last couple of years, I mean, she always saw him as a, as a protector and he was always looking out for, uh, the person who was left out. Um, he was the one that was, that was going over to a neighborhood boy who, who was uh, wheelchair bound and, you know, playing checkers with this boy. Um, he was the one who, there was a girl who in high school was kind of an outsider, didn't really, wasn't part of the in crowd, but she got a big, crush on Eugene. Eugene wasn't really interested in her romantically at all, but he would always go out of his way to invite her to youth group events and sit with her at church because he just he just cared about people. And so I think as he got older and as he saw his own way of pastoring that r- ran the risk of manipulating people for our own ends, to grow a church, to make a church big, to be to try to use people for building the church, as opposed to allowing the church to be a space where God's grace um, heals people, I think there was something about that 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 really set him on edge, and he began to recognize that that danger. And so, he had the capacity to see his own um, to see his own shortcomings, and then to want something different.
1: In the book, you know, he and you detail. Something that I had heard, you know, that he never wanted the church to be more than 500 people. Um, I think you you actually say that no, that was actually ascribed to him, but he he often I think said 800 people. Um, but, but it was about can a pastor know the names of the people, know the stories of a people. Um, do you know how that even idea came about for him? Of man, I, I, like he had this potential to grow something, but somehow. He knew his own, had seen like capacity limitations. I mean, I think there's a lot of younger pastors who, you know, they with Instagram exploding, with marketing tools, with opportunities to get on conference stages or book deals, blah, 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 all that stuff. There, There's something I feel like that was so integrous to like you just alluded to, um, not wanting people to be used for his thing. Uh, but to create the space, um, but but it seemed like he he got really practical about that. Can you talk about that? Sure. One just to to clarify,
0: because because I, I do think it's really interesting. Is so he he actually did often use the number five hundred. He did okay, but that wasn't really like you know. Again, lots of times people hear Eugene and they think that he's being more like dogmatic than he even means. Like he just that was a, that was a symbol, a metaphor. Um, but what was, what you're probably remembering, um, is what was interesting about this. He, he pulled that number because he thought it was the size of his senior class at SPU. And when he was the senior class president, he wanted to know everybody's name. And so he memorized the name of every student, um, before they arrived on campus his senior year, which is astounding to me. I don't think I could do that. Um, but what I recognized later in looking through his class records is that that's his senior class was actually closer to 800. So the, the funny thing was, he said it was 500 because of that, but it actually was 800. Um, and um, but I think something about that, the fact that even as a senior in high school, I'm mean, sorry, college, that there was there was something inside of him that knew he needed to know people's names if he was going to lead them. I don't know where that came from other than. The butcher shop. The butcher shop, yeah. So growing up as a son of a butcher, what, one of the things he always recognized is how his dad treated the customers. And in many ways, it was more like a family or a church than a business. That his dad knew people's names when they came in. And that it was a meeting place for all kinds of people. So those who were you know, buying uh, New York strip and ribeyes, and then those who were, who were buying the, you know, uh, pig's feet and the bologna. Right. And that they all, they were all welcome there and he knew all of their names and he knew what they, what they ordered and when they ordered it. And, and yet the one person who felt like they didn't really fit in the butcher shop was always the pastor because the pastor would come in with a certain air. He wasn't part of the, of the butcher shop scene. Um, it was, it was the pastor that embarrassed his dad because he would also get super spiritual and he would somehow talk his dad into giving away steaks, you know. And there was something that intuitively to Eugene said, this, there's something wrong here that the most human um, experience is my dad, the butcher, and the most inhuman person in this room is the pastor. And that's not the way it's supposed to be. And I think he set out to be different.
1: And it's weird because there was all these almost dichotomies uh, in Eugene's life. I mean, his his mom is this, you know, pastoral presence speaking to, you know, truck drivers and loggers and just could preach the pain off the walls. Um, You know, Eugene goes to try and meet with different uh, voices that people had recommended. And um, the last person that he goes and he meets with is someone that nobody thinks anything good can come from and the most unlikely suspect. And it just seems like all the people that y- y- you think in this story should have had the most influence. It wasn't, it was all these other periphery characters. Um, I'm curious when you think about today's pastor and you know, you, you being at All Souls for 25 years. And what do you think is the, the thing that the pastorate ministry needs to learn most from the life and the example that your research, that your friendship with Eugene uh, showed you, that you just go, man, if, if, I, if I give a silver bullet, I know this is a wild question, but wish more pastors had this, um, what would that be?
0: You know, in some ways it's, it's hard to answer because Eugene was super slow to want to say a general word to all pastors. You know, he wanted to say a word to the pastor that was in front of him. I I do think there's, there's something about not being afraid to actually be a pastor. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: It's, it's a scary thing in some ways because most of the ways we're conditioned and taught and most of the ways our personality s- seem to move toward is 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 toward things that can easily debilitate being an actual pastor, like wanting to build our reputation, wanting to um, judge ourselves by the size of our congregation or its effectiveness, supposed effectiveness. And Eugene would just insist over and over again that we don't actually control these things. We we think we control them, but we don't. And we're at, we're at the mercy of the grace of God. And to be a pastor is to be whoever God has uniquely made you to be. And don't try to be Eugene. <laughs> um, be be when be Steve. And then be filled with um, eyes to see God and a, and a heart that longs for God. And then move that direction, inviting other people along. I'm not sure that there's any, any further wisdom that moves much beyond that. There are things that, that can help that be more possible. There's things that can accompany that. But pointing our life to God and inviting others to it, um, that's the work. That's beautiful.
1: That is so beautiful. Eugene also, and you, you talk about this in detail in the book, but he faced um, challenges in ministry Um, How did, how did he handle that, you know, as a pastor, as a man, and as a father, what what did you learn about how Eugene handled the challenges that come from ministry?
0: You know, it's, it's not, um, very, uh, glorious for sure. He kind of endured. (laughs) Um, he describes that over six year season of the Badlands where he would have left, he would have left the church if God would have let him, he tried, you know, which is important to remember. I think when we um, hear him later talking about stability that um, he tried to leave, you know, Um, but he, he just kept putting one foot in front of the other and he, he gave himself to some really physical um, human uh, places that allowed his mind and heart to connect in, in ways that um, when he wasn't feeling um, the beauty of ministry. So he, took, took it back up woodworking, which was part of his family craft. And he, that's when he and Jan started their Monday Sabbaths and their long hikes. And he went back to running. He returned to running. So, um, he found some friends, uh, a spiritual director and another pastor who would just pray with him and point him toward God. And then he trusted that somehow in the strange economy of grace that, that God was doing something that he couldn't see. And he learned to trust that.
1: That's so good. I mean, right now, you know, as, as, as people are talking and Barna has, you know, I think written recently, you know, 30% of pastors would, would quit if they could, you know, and I, as I was reading it, just, I was just thinking, man, like, what fresh word would Eugene have, you know? And, um, in a lot of ways, I think, I love hearing the humanity piece where he's like, I, I would have, and I wanted to. Um, but just that endurance word, it's, it's a, it's a, yeah, just a lost art in so many ways. Um, I, I, another question I have too is, you know, even at the very beginning of the book, I love, you kind of have this little drawing of Montana and where he he grew up. And I just love the little like map of it. Um, I remember a, a number of years ago, I met John Tyson in um, a conference and he was uh, doing next gen ministry, I think at a church in Orlando and had like piercings and the, he was just young and vibrate. And then I, I took a team. We went out to New York to be with him um, with his crew out there and he was dapper. And I just remember walking up to him and just asking him the simple question. I said, Hey, uh, I remember years ago, th- this was my first interaction with you. And, and now, you know, you're, you're like suit, you're in New York. Um, how did, how did this come to be? And I'll never forget. And it came to me again as I was reading your book. Um, he said, New York allows me to be the fullest expression of who God made me to be. And I, I feel comfortable in my own skin. And it really feels that way that Montana taught Eugene, but it really allowed him to be um, the fullest expression. Talk about the power of place. And um what that space and what the lands of uh in uh, the lakes and, and just that environment, how that shaped him um as a man and pastor and father and son.
0: Well, Eugene said you can never separate theology from geography. Wow. And so theology that is not um situated in geography is abstract. And it's not very well suited for the incarnation. So when you're a young boy and you grow up in these majestic mountains and you spend Saturdays alone in the woods, immersed in this land that um, is dangerous and raw, um, immersed in, a, in stories of native cultures that, um, are in the land all around you, that it awakens imagination and it gives you an experience of, of God's presence that gets into you, into your blood, into your, into your, um, thinking and without, it's not something that's put there by books, right? Which is another grace. It's, it's also good, but there's something that's very near and immediate and and I think there's something about the just the western um culture the the montana way that was um he never he never was at ease in situations where he felt like conversation was getting too heady where it was something that wasn't grounded in the real world um that it wasn't something. A kind of conversation you could have had in the butcher shop. In some ways, I think if it's if if it's language that doesn't work in the butcher shop, it's probably not language that's very well suited to to transforming people's lives um, for most of us. And that even showed up later when he was translating the message because he wasn't, he wasn't that the whole story, he didn't start by translating the message for America. It was for Hartford County. maryland and smaller than that it was for um christ our king presbyterian church and smaller than that it was for this little sunday school group that he led um where he was trying to figure out why the power and evocative imagery of galatians was not igniting in their heart and he said okay i'm gonna write it in their language and so he did so you know he was everything was specific he was for the people right in front of you and i think that's something that's you know in our digital age where we can be removed from most everyone and just pop in and out um i think we're losing some of this the uh the specifics
1: man that's so beautiful i mean cuz i think a lot of times people are like well the message how did that come to be and they just don't know the story of man Here's this, again, this heart of a pastor who wanted and struggled with the reality. Why isn't Galatians resonating? And so what's that resistance? And so using this ability to write, uh, to try and help them see the the imagery, the power, the beauty, the sacredness of this letter. Um, it's just, again, just once again, showcases that pastoral heart. And I love how you said that to the people that were right in front of him to the right, right in front of him, not to the crowds, not to the, you know, someday I might be on this day. It was to the people that he was faithful with that God had placed right in front of him. Um, part of this podcast is is really, you know, again, on the craft of communication. You know, we, we often, and I feel like I've actually never heard Eugene preach a message. I've read the, uh, a lot of his books. How was he as a preacher in your research? Um, what did you find in his preaching that um, was... Yeah. What, what was the style of the way in which that he preached?
0: You know, honestly, by most criteria that we think of these days, he was not a very good preacher. (laughs) Um, he, he didn't mesmerize people. He wasn't a a wonderful communicator. You had to really listen because he had such a raspy voice. Um, much of the time he read his sermons, um, there was seasons where he would he would move away from that and not read his sermons and do them um extemporaneously uh without notes or minor notes and after a short season of that one time um one Sunday afternoon, Jan encouraged him that maybe he should return to the manuscripts um, <laughs> but I think in some ways it's it's a powerful thing because it in in another sense um he, he was Deeply moving as a preacher. Um and maybe this gets to the heart of of your work here with this podcast. I I'm not I don't know for sure, but um I'll let you be the judge. But there was something that he carried within his body that was um the presence of God. Wow. And and I think um I guess I want to be careful. I, I'm not saying that we shouldn't strive hard to learn better skill and craft, but honestly, I, I do think a lot of times um, we do that in an attempt to make up for a, a lack of the spirit's presence. Yeah. And we are grasping for something that can only happen by um, what, what the older Christians, you know, would have called the, the unction. Mm-hmm. Um, that there there was something that Eugene so deeply knew of God, that was so wedded to who he was, that um, it, it carried, that authority carried with him as he spoke. Um, by most homiletic classes in most seminaries, I assume he would have gotten mediocre grades. But if you're asking how did the Holy spirit fill his, his mind and his words and his voice so that um, the power and presence of God would be manifest in the living word coming to the people of God. Um, That was potent. Um, But in some ways it also was for those who had ears to hear. Right. There were a number of people that I think even now would say, ah, I didn't get too much out of that. And that's, you know, that's fine. But, um, I think if you were attuned to what was happening, I think if if you were attuned to what Eugene was actually doing, um, it was, um, it was a deep grace. Yeah.
1: Well, and I, I resonate so much with that because, you know, it's, you know, it's the character piece. It's the, what he, that attunement, that fostering, that, um, Ability to receive that deep grace and that presence that you're talking about. What did he do? And 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 we we talk about this often in the podcast. Or the practices I mentioned, like running or hiking or Sabbath, but but I think I think for a lot of us, we we want that depth with the Spirit. We want that that love for the presence and. And again, you know, um, not just cause Eugene did it, we should just go out and copy it. But, but is there, is there something that you just came across that you were like, man, you could see the intentionality at which he lived. I mean, for me, right from the beginning when, uh, of the book and uh, one of the kids are going down to see their dad, to tell him that dinner's ready. If I remember the story right. And opens up the office and they sees their dad with the prayer shawl and just in this moment of prayer and just kind of like stepping back to say, seeing what his dad was doing. And it might've been for breakfast if I remember right. Um, but just this, you, you, you saw this practical, this intentionality, but is there, is there something that practices that he did that allowed himself deeper, deeper, deeper connection with the presence of God?
0: I should, I should say first, um, Eugene was asked this kind of question all the time. Um, and most of the time he didn't answer it. Yeah. Um, and the reason why is he was really concerned about people's penchant for replication and, and, and frankly, kind of, kind of playing into the, um, tell me the three things to do and then I'll conquer that and then I'll do it. Right. And, and so I think what I would say is he's what, he was one of the most disciplined people I've ever known,
1: Mm.
0: but it was, it, it was, um, fairly easy for him. It was, it was an expression of his personality. Um, And so there were certainly disciplines, but he actually didn't even like the word discipline that much. He felt like discipline in our current cultural moment plays into our plagian sense of self-effort. Um, he, he just, he kept, he kept looking for other words to emphasize it's grace. It's, it's, it's being available to grace. So when someone ever asked him, how do I learn how to pray? one of his normal first responses would be, um, what do you love? And, And then once you find what you love, how do we make that prayer? So, but if I had to say one thing that maybe could keep us from the risk of just replication, I would say it was unhurried time. So, you know, obviously he encountered the scriptures regularly. He was a man of, of scripture. He, he prayed, he, he memorized much vast portions of the Psalter and much of it in Hebrew. Um, and he had a cycle of how he would pray the Psalms through each week, uh, not, not all the Psalms, but he would, he would pick like seven Psalms, one for each day, and he would just have this cycle and he would pray them each week and he purposely picked certain Psalms to go with certain days because it would represent the frame of the week or what he was doing that day, et cetera. Um, but I really think that at the deep, the deep part of it was his um, because prayer became not something he did, but something he was, he was a prayer. His life was a prayer truly. And I think that required seeing the whole of his life as wrapped up in the life of God as as the the center story being God and it and it pulling all of him into that. Um I think one of the, the grave things that we struggle with and is was just a, a, a great place of disconnect between how we live and Eugene lived is we are still no matter when we say we the opposite, we are still compartmentalizing our life. Right. And he just he just wasn't and he removed himself. He purposely said no to big things. He purposely said no to things that most of us would have a very difficult time saying no to, um, because it would stroke our ego. Um, but he wanted something else more. He wanted God.
1: Wow. That's, I mean, it it reminds me when he, you know, his mom was Pentecostal, grew up and didn't ever feel like he could speak in tongues. And, you know, he, he ended up wanting to go meet with someone as mom suggested. And he went out there and I think he, the the guy was swinging on a hammock or sleeping on a hammock. And he just said, uh, Hey, can you teach me how to pray? And the guy's response was, I don't pray. Um, and, but he was looking for those steps. He was looking for, how can I do this? And he said, six years later, I understood that if, if he would have given me the steps, I would have, just down the steps and he gave me a, a a bigger and so the the fact of you know later in life when people are like how do i get what you have i love just that question what do you love and then how do you, how do you how do you pray and live towards that um it's so beautiful when i i again i just can't recommend this book enough i just thought it was such um such a gift that you were given and a gift that you gave uh, so many of us who have been blessed by the work, um, that Eugene and, and Jan, um, and their life really ushered in, um, for grace and for truth. Um, so thank you for that. Um, I'm curious, just, I know you said this at the beginning about what you're doing at Western, what's your hope with it? I mean, obviously you, you stepped out pastoral ministry, um, to, to kind of step into this, um, is it up and running right now? Is it is 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 there programs that are going to be? Can you give us a little bit more of like, hey, and if people wanted to learn more about you and about this program, where they could go? Sure. So
0: yes, we moved here in August, and right you know in the middle of the pandemic, obviously, <laughs> and so we've been slowly putting things together. So the first thing that we're doing is offering two uh, Doctor of Ministry cohorts. Um, the first one is called Holy Presence, Eugene Peterson and the Pastoral Imagination, um, and the applications for that are actually closed now. And the next one is is called uh, the Sacred Art of Writing, and so it's it's um, you know my two loves, Eugene's two loves, um, and uh, those are three year cohorts um, just diving into this work. But we'll be starting other circles of friendship for pastors and artists and creatives. We hope in October of next year to start our gathering called doxology, which is going to be trying to um, have conversations along these same, same themes. And um, if people want to learn more, they can go to the petersoncenter.org and there's some information there on the email list. They can sign up at the bottom and then my personal writing site is wincollier.com. If you ask what I'm hoping for, um, the first thing I would say is what we're not hoping for. We're not starting a, a mausoleum to Eugene. We're not going to spend the next decade only asking, what would Eugene say? <laughs> um, but what we are doing is we're recognizing that Eugene was a witness to God. Uh, a witness to pastoral fidelity in a time where we are desperate need of, um, faithful pastors, um, and to a fresh imaginative, um, Jesus awakened way of encountering a living scripture and God's presence in making us truly human in this world. And so at the center, what we're hoping to do is to be follow Eugene's example and be a witness like he was um, to God's presence and God's way in the world. And, and we're, we're hopeful that God will open doors and allow us to be faithful in that.
1: That's, that's amazing. Um, last question, because you mentioned the cohorts. And I know that Eugene did this often where he allowed people to, you know, in groups of pastors to come out to Montana to be with him. Is the cohort connected because just that's been a, that, that was kind of a spirit of how he opened up and the hospitality of he and Jan? Um, or was it just more of like, hey, this is the best learning opportunity that we could think of for people all over the world or a little of the two?
0: Yeah. Well, it's, it's something I've been involved in for the last 20 years um, with another group that I've led called the Genesis Project where we just bring people together. And honestly, I just don't know. I don't. I think for pastors, particularly, we just don't need a lot more information. Yeah. Um, I think we need friendship, and we need God. And I don't know. Maybe it's just because I'm simple minded. I don't know how else to do that other than to get a small group of people sitting around a circle, sharing good food and good beverages and a good fire and and good words and and some space that allows that space to become friendship and prayer in in many, many respects, because I could, I just can't imagine how else we'd do it.
1: When, thank you. Thank you. Thank you for just the time. And again, just for the book. And I'm so excited for all of the listeners to to go to Amazon, go to Barnes and Noble, um, to, to pick it up, to read it. Um, and you'll get a, get a sense of just that theology and geography. You'll get a sense of, um, that just sacred longing that, that Eugene had, um, but there are so many practicalities that you'll look at your life, look at where God's placed you. um, But I I promise you by just seeing how he pastored the people that were right in front of you, this book is incredibly um, timely for right now, because like Wynne said, um, we need these kinds of pastors, people who aren't chasing the next big thing, but have that ability to say no and love, love, love the people that God has put before them because they understand the grace that God has given to them. When thank you for joining us on the Crafting Character podcast. It means the world and uh, many blessings to this new endeavors. And I hope that you enjoy tons of good coffee from LaMangelos. So much love, man. Grace and peace.
0: All right. Thank you. Peace, team.